becoming like Christ. And that's called the process of sanctification. Change is hard for us, and the more personal the change is, the harder it is. You know, it's going to be hard for me to give up uh, sometime in the future that old car of mine, even though it's starting to give up at 280,000 clicks. Um, I'm used to it. It fits me. And so I don't like a lot of the modern cars and the screens and things like that. I'm an old guy. So that change would be hard for me. But it's a lot harder, and I talked last week, I'm back on the old losing weight train again because of COVID. I put a bunch on, and that's hard. I'm doing okay right now, but that's hard. And it's even harder when it's examining the change that may need to take place in my emotional life, in my responses to things, and in how I make my decisions. That's hard. But our hearts need change. Scripture says the heart is deceitful and needs to be purified. So lots of times we respond negatively even to the call of the Spirit in our lives because it hurts to recognize that we need to change. As part of our hearts, our emotions need to be purified, brought under Christ. And one reason we resist change to our emotions is because they are so personal and we resist having them questioned. We have a lot of excuses as to why we act and why we feel the way we do. I know I have lots of excuses. I'm good at excuses. Oh, I'm, aren't I, babe? Don't answer that question. But no matter what excuse we put forward, we are to seek, this is the hard part, to get rid of our excuses and put those behind us and be transformed, to be changed. Our excuses are our defense, our defense against change. And we're to put those excuses behind. The only real question is, will we seek and commit to being molded by God? And we came to the end last week with the scripture, and create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. And if we're committed to change, then we must be open to all legitimate ways forward. We remember the heart is composed of our thoughts, emotions, and our wills. And God made us not only with a heart, those things, but our bodies. And you know, our bodies can affect our emotions and our thoughts and our wills. And it can be the other way forward. If I haven't slept well, do I feel like doing lots of things the next day? Do I potentially get crabby? Yeah. If I haven't had coffee, I get crabbier still. I need my meds. But we are a complex system. And all of these influence each other so that a problem in one area can create a problem in another. If there's a problem within our emotions, it may be rooted in some other aspect of our being. And if we have a problem with our emotions, it will affect other aspects of our being. So we need to deal with either or both of spiritual or physical healing to deal with our emotional issues. That's on the quiz at the end. Although in these messages, we aren't going to talk about all the possible emotional problems that exist, I hope they provide enough background understanding connected with scripture so that we can move forward as believers in dealing with these problems wherever we stand. 
Today we're going to be talking about depression. Can't cover everything, can only cover the barest little bit of it. Because again, you could get a degree in how to deal with depression. It's a mental state that can range from a milder feeling of being down through to an emotional state that weighs on us and robs joy and onto being a, a significant illness. And the term we use in our society is mental illness that's debilitating and makes things impossible in our lives. It's a darkness of the spirit that's an old companion of a lot of people. Research suggests quite strongly that at least 5% of the world is experiencing significant depression at any one time. And that goes across nations at any one time. So even in our church this morning, we have at least five people here who are finding life difficult, very difficult, through to a continuing, continuous depression. And others of us are in different stages. But how can that be in the church? Not here, surely? Stretching back into history, the church has often denied or looked down on the idea of depression in its midst. And even those closest to us, even family members, have problems with the idea sometimes. Why? Why do we in the church sometimes have problems talking about emotional difficulties and mental illness? It's really only till recently in our society that mental illness has been openly discussed. And generally, we're becoming more accepting and open about trying to deal with it and helping those who experience pain. It wasn't all that long ago that we locked people up and treated them as unfixable with significant mental illness. Saw them at least as less than human. And though changes come, there are pockets of resistance to change, and honest to goodness, my brothers and sisters, when the research is done, one of those pockets of resistance to change in this area is often in the Church of Jesus Christ. A place where compassion and dealing with these issues should be front and center because we have the great healer, and we are to be filled with compassion, sometimes we back away. In some churches, there's still the belief, and among some Christians, that Christians don't suffer any mental illness. They're either just lacking in faith, and if they had faith, it would go away, or they're committing sin, and so God is punishing them. And others just think it's got to be demons all the time, all the way down. And sometimes we back away from people who are experiencing great emotional pain or illness because we don't know how to deal with them and there's this kind of feeling it almost might be catching or something. We don't really know. All of these attitudes are wrong. None of them are biblically founded. Those that suffer from mental illness while they are Christians are usually forced to hide their condition. They often leave the church. And as a consequence, many Christians who struggle with this and who begin to have issues don't seek out help within their own congregations, their own churches, with their brothers and sisters in Christ. And many struggle on alone, and many fall. Where should we turn when we face mental health issues? What's the place of medicine? Are pills the answer? 
Should we go to a psychiatrist or go to a counselor? Or should we join some sort of group? Or do we go and see the pastor? Or should we just cry alone? Darkness, my own friend, I've come to talk with you again, because a vision softly creeping, left its seeds while I was sleeping, and the vision that was planted in my brain. darkness, my old friend. Depression. Let's quickly meet some people you may have heard of. Quote from Abraham Lincoln, remember in the depth and even the agony of despondency that very shortly you are to feel well again. According to his friends, Abraham Lincoln was the most depressed person they had ever seen. It wasn't always that way. As a young man, Acquaintances remembered him for having a sunny disposition, even in the middle of fighting a war as a soldier. I never saw Lincoln angry or despondent, but always cheerful. But after personal tragedies in his life, including the death of his sister and a close friend, he started having bouts of depression. The war came along and he had periods where he had to lock himself away. Before he went to the White House while he was running for president, at one point, He was locked up by his friends to prevent derangement or suicide, one villager in his hometown said. For some people, depression can be triggered by life events. Ever hear of Winston Winston Churchill? He spoke very openly about his lifelong depression from the time he was a little child. And he went through particularly severe depression before the First World War. For two or three years, the light faded from the picture. I did my work, I sat in the House of Commons, but depression was with me all the time, he said. He found comfort in creative activities. He painted, he wrote, he even laid bricks. Fascinatingly, a lot of depressive people have creative urges and creative instincts. He said it kept his black dog, the black dog of depression, away. But it followed him all of his life. Churchill said this in the 50s. I don't like standing near the edge of a platform when an express train is passing through. I like to stand back and, if possible, get a pillar between me and the train. I don't like to stand by the side of a ship and look down into the water. A second's action would end everything. A few drops of desperation would give relief. For some people, depression seems baked into the soul. Princess Diana. After marrying Prince Charles, she was propelled into the public spotlight, and the pressure and scrutiny of her new role left her feeling desperate and alone. She opened up in an interview with the BBC after she divorced her husband. I never had depression in my life, 
But then when I analyzed it, I could see the changes I had made in my first year of becoming a princess had caught up with me. And my body was saying, we need a rest. And when she came forward and told people how she was feeling, she received scorn and resentment in the British press. People laughed at her. It gave everybody a wonderful new label and they could explain why things were not going well in the royal family. It was really fascinating to watch her descent, wasn't it? And the stigma of labels put on her pushed her into continuous depression. When no one listens to you, all sorts of things start to happen, she said. I began to self-harm and I struggled with bulimia. I didn't like myself and I couldn't cope with the pressures. For some, the pressure of life can lead to a mild depression and anxiety that begins to deepen over time. And if we try to hide from what's going on inside of us, it leads to disaster. And if we don't receive understanding from others, it can lead to disaster. Martin Luther King Jr., the great civil rights leader. We think of King as being a brave and rock-solid leader. We don't associate this with a boy who, before the age of 13, had attempted suicide twice already. He suffered bouts of severe depression all his life, and shortly before he was assassinated, his team even tried to get him into psychiatric treatment, but he turned it down. And he said, it's my depression that drives me. How can you not be depressed? when you see what's going on in that world. Everybody passionately seeks to be well-adjusted, but there are some things in our world to which men of goodwill must be maladjusted. And he felt the oppression that exists in our world and the inequality and the violence so deeply that it drove him to the edge of breakdown. For some, depression can be part of sensitivity to great need. That can be a very difficult gift. About King David. Show me grace, eternal God. I'm completely undone. Bring me back together, eternal one. My soul is drowning in darkness. How can you, the eternal, let things go on like this? I'm exhausted. I can't even speak. Every day ends in the same place. Lying in bed. Covered in tears, my pillow wet with sorrow. The man after God's own heart was sick and depressed when he wrote this psalm. He also began to fear for his life and was experiencing anxiety at the same time. For some people, depression pulls one away from God and from all sense of hope. And sometimes we're a complete mess with our bodies and emotions both ill and our problems all mixed up. Or how about Job? If only my one request were answered, if only God would grant me the fulfillment of my only hope, that God would be willing to crush me, to kill me, that God would release his hand and cut me off. How's that for hope? At least then I would have a crumb of consolation, one source of joy in the middle of this relentless agony. I never denied the words of the Holy One in my pain. And for some, 
death seems like the only way forward. Even a faithful man like Job could feel the desire to leave this world. Ah, but here we are today, and some of us will remember this wonderful little song. Jesus took my burdens all away. Now I'm singing as the days go by. Jesus took my burdens all away. Once my heart was heavy with a heavy load of sin. Jesus took the heavy load and gave me peace within my heart. And now I'm singing as the days go by. Jesus took my burdens away. I'm so happy, and here's the reason why Jesus took my burdens all away. Well, it's good to know Job and David were before Jesus came. So they could be depressed. But we don't have any burdens, do we? If you have a burden, would you raise your hand? Is there anybody here that doesn't have a burden? Maybe I should ask you to raise your hand. We sang songs like that, and there are some contemporary songs that also are all about the happies. But they don't deal with the realities of life. When our child is desperately ill, that's a burden, and it weighs on us. When we can't get up in the morning because of our arthritic joints, that's a burden. When we lose a job, when our spouse is crying their eyes out, and there's nothing we can do because they do it day after day, that's a burden. Is your not to Valentine's Day. In the church, there is an undercurrent that emotional problems, the experiencing of burdens, and depression must be sinful. We're allowed to have arthritis, but we're not allowed to be depressed. Why? We're allowed to have a headache, but we're not allowed to feel lonely. Why? If God is sufficient for us, why do we face these issues? And why do we deny these issues so that we can't help each other? Pray for my headache, but don't pray for the fact I'm terribly lonely. I've heard Christians say a real believer can't get depressed because God is always there for you. And this leads to the belief that any issues of mental health are always spiritual. And I tell you that these people have either never faced serious trials in their lives or are repressing or denying the very emotions they have faced or are facing. 
There is a spiritual component to our mental health, and it's overwhelmingly important, and we'll get that to that in a bit, because we must understand this. But we have to understand this dark cloud of depression a little bit more first before we get there. Depression is a spectrum. It exists on a continuum of severity. The more severe, likely the more causes, or the more painful causes, or what's going on inside of us. The mildest is simply feeling down. You ever feel down? Ever wake up some days and just, best thing to do when you're feeling down is one, talk to God, and two, talk to somebody else. Share that feeling. So they can talk you through it. Now one of the reasons why people get lonely and depressed, or get depressed is because if they don't have somebody to talk to, they can't review stuff. And so that gets depressing to them, and depression deepens. So if you are alone, you need to have contacts. And if you are somebody who knows somebody in this congregation, or in your neighborhood who's alone, talk to them, call them, be in touch with them. Because at this stage, God gave us each other. And if you feel down, you can usually figure out why a bit. But this moves into situational depression, when the things start to pile up on you. It may be one significant issue, like you've lost a job, and you don't know how you're going to survive. Or it may be a number of things that have hit you time after time after time again in a short period of time. And you can pinpoint what's going on. I know what's going on, but I still feel awful. And we need to talk to God and we need to seek counsel at those points. Maybe our pastor, it may be a professional, depending on how deep it feels. But we need to talk to somebody with some depth of understanding who can help us work through some of those issues. But if it can't go away, there's another level of depression. And there's a line that gets crossed. And we call it a person, sometimes we use the phrase clinical depression. There's all sorts of new terms. There's mild depressive disorder versus major depressive disorder, which this would be, you can use all the counseling terms you want. But at this stage, we need to see, find out if there is a medical or physical reason causing why we are feeling the way we do. Some of us don't understand this or don't accept it. But genetically, some of us have what's called a predisposition towards depression, towards anxiety, towards all sorts of things. Our very genetic makeup, the way we are created in ourselves, gives us an emotional slant on life. Do you know they've been able to identify the gene of people who are risk takers? You know those people that love climbing mountains and they sleep on the side? I saw a picture yesterday of people sleeping on a, on a platform hanging off the side halfway up a mountain. There's a thousand foot drop below them and a thousand foot climb above them and they're lying back reading a book. And they're going to sleep up there and eat up there. And then they're going to, the next day, continue climbing up the... They're nuts. By my standards. 
But genetically, they're wired to think that's really cool. And they think I'm boring. And some of us are wired with a tendency to get depressed, or to be anxious, or to be happy, or all sorts of things. And if you have that tendency, especially if other events come in your life, it can deepen and you can get seriously, seriously ill in your emotional life, in your thought life, in your ability to make decisions. And if you want, you can call that mental illness or clinical depression or whatever you want to talk about. But we need a doctor. People who have a stroke can become depressed. People who have changes to certain internal organs of their bodies, hormonal differences, can cause it. Do you want to suffer in silence or do you want to get it checked out? We'll go to the doctor, we hope, if we have a continuous pain in our side for a week, or if you're a, guy, a typical guy, three weeks or four weeks or six months or two and a half years. You idiot. I'm looking in the mirror when I say this. But we'll go for the physical. But we don't want to go for that, which is perhaps even more important to who we are as a person. As we walk along the spectrum, we head into a basement. Somebody asked me to do something. I'm not sure I'm up to it. I'm feeling a bit detached. I'm feeling a bit down. No, sorry, today's not a good day. You start to isolate and you start to pull away. You may recognize yourself in some of these. Then you begin to say, I just can't do it. You start to lose motivation and interest. Your will starts to deteriorate. And then you say, what's the point? It's hard to get out of bed. I've got a weighted blanket at home. It helps me sometimes if I can't sleep. I put it on. And it helps me get to sleep. But you know what's miserable about that weighted blanket? When the alarm goes off and it's time for me to get up, I can't move. I just, Ruth knows, I, sometimes I say, hi, rescue me. Because it's just so hard to get up. I'm just... And that's what depression can be like. It leaves you stuck to your bed. And when you get to that point, you are starting to cross the line where everything is too hard. And when life starts to suck, and you use that phrase even though it sounds to many of us uh, vulgar, and then you begin to hate your life, and you start blaming yourself, and finally, it can feel hopeless and you want to die. What's the first thing you need to do at every single one of those levels? Hmm? Right, you need to talk to God. Lord, I feel awful. Did I just say to my friend, today's not a good day? Why isn't it a good day? Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any evil way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Pray without ceasing is what we're told to do. And when we see these things beginning to happen in us, these emotions beginning to happen in us, we need to confront them by just saying, Lord, something's going on in me. Help me understand this. Help me deal with it. And there's a role for the church at all these stages. Oh, there's Stanley Park there. 
This is my commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. Carry each other's burdens and so you will fulfill the law of Christ. Don't forget to do good and to share what you have because God is pleased with these kinds of sacrifices. When we are depressed, we lack energy and it's hard to make the decisions and to seek people and hard to do research and how to move forward. And when we're finding it hard, what do we need? What do you need? You have Jesus, and you need help. And God has supposedly sent his people to help us. Well, sometimes we don't want to get in that yoke. Our task as a church, as fellow believers, is to, where possible, intervene to prevent the problem from growing into severity or to provide comfort in its severity. There but for the grace of God go you and I. You're not superior to the one hurting. We are connected. So what are the feelings surrounding depression? If you see somebody, if you talk to somebody, if they're willing to open up, depression has all these related friends. With friends like these, who needs enemies? Loneliness, sadness, a feeling of emptiness, feeling worthless, feeling guilty, feeling hopeless. These are the feelings that can accompany depression. Sometimes they're the feelings that lead into depression, while other times they're the things that make it worse. Each of these can be a significant problem in its own that must be faced. Sometimes we have created the problems for ourselves. We may actually be guilty, but we need to do something about it. And we're going to need help, perhaps, to deal with that thing. Loneliness. Sometimes we push other people away, and it makes us even more lonely. But loneliness needs to be addressed. You can be lonely in a room full of people. There are lonely people in our church right now, sitting here, listening to this message. Loneliness can be the thing that starts depression, and once depressed, we can't find the energy to reach out to others. Sadness, regret, remorse, the loss of something important. And all we can do is think about the loss until eventually it becomes baked into our souls. Emptiness, the feeling that you're hollow inside, that there's nothing inside of you. Worthless, just as it sounds. When you feel worthless, you feel like you're a burden to others and you're a burden to God. Guilt, you can't forgive yourself or find forgiveness and hopelessness. Everything seems overwhelming. Some writers try to combine these into all under the feeling of loss. The loss of loved ones, the loss of security, the loss of our health. Do these sound like the things we can just pull ourselves out of? Pick yourself up by the bootstraps, you sniveling depressive. Stop having cancer, you foolish person. We need help. Depression affects every area of our hearts, our emotions, our thoughts, and wills. And that's why a depressive person needs help. Realize that right now, across the board, 
At least mild depression is what's called endemic. We hear about pandemics and then endemics. Endemic in our society because how many people have been happy with the experience of living through COVID? If you're happy having lived through COVID, how many people are saying, can we just get over and through this thing? Raise your hand. You want this all to be over? Yeah. And there is a mild depression emotionally across the nation. And we need to address that mild depression. And it affects the church, too. Sometimes we're depressed so we feel we can't help other people. Remember, there but for the grace of God go I. Church of God, we are called as one body to get beyond ourselves. That's a theme that's been preached about here much lately. Will we have the courage to ask God to open our eyes to someone who is in need? And as Martin Luther King said, it was his depression and his awareness of what was wrong that caused him to reach out. So depressive person, whether it's the mild depression of COVID or whether it's a major depression, you are called to seek in God the strength to reach out to another individual. And let God, through that relationship, not only restore them and help them, but restore you and help you. Let's try to move on in our understanding. There are two kinds of depression. I'm going to give you a fancy term and an unfancy term. Basically, there's one kind of depression that comes from inside of us. This is the chemical imbalance. This is genetic. This could be a brain damage or a stroke. Could be dementia. Our science doesn't fully understand this kind of depression. Sometimes it isn't bad enough to stop our functioning, like an occasional bad back. Depression can be like an occasional bad Anybody here got an occasional bad back? It just kind of goes out? I shared last week that I have this with depression. There are times, not so often lately, praise God, that I will tell Ruth, oh no, it's coming. And I can feel a tide of depression begin to wash over me without any apparent cause at all. And then for an afternoon, I will feel just really, really low. I say, Lord, I have no idea what's going on, but help me get through this. And some hours later or a day later, it, it will lift again. And there's a physical thing going on there. Depression runs in my family. Sheila Walsh, a Christian writer, describes experiencing depression since her teenage years when she began enduring periods of acute sadness and withdrawal. My mom described it as if I'd fallen into a hole and it'd be hard for her to reach in and pull me out, she explained. She said she continuously struggled with what she knew to be true, God's love and presence with her, and what she felt, which was isolation and depression. There was a war going on within her. She eventually was hospitalized. She received medications. Those medications helped stabilize her where she could begin to shoulder the burden of life again. And she has gone on to be a writer and performer. Her father took his, age, his life at the age of 34, depressed. 
And she says, I'm pretty sure that same tendency and the same end could have happened to me if it hadn't been the intervention of God and the doctors. Understanding the genetic component of depression is important because the illness can easily run down the family line. Then there's the other kind of depression that comes from outside of us. It's triggered by the outside stresses, the loss of a loved one, getting divorced, losing a job, post-traumatic stress disorder. I've also experienced this kind of depression as a result of problems in ministry. When directing Youth for Christ in Montreal many years ago, when I got there to start my job, I discovered the bank account was empty. They had used my support money I'd sent in advance for our family on other things. The board fell apart the first meeting, and three-quarters of the board members left, and our housing fell apart in the first six months. And there were staff problems. I wasn't singing, now I'm happy, as the days go by. I was depressed. External causes can create depression. It can be prolonged or even incapacitating, but the body isn't as effective. Sometimes you can fake this kind of, you're happy during this. And finally, you see where those, whoo, oh well, it's broken. I'm depressed. You see where those two circles intersect in the middle? Sometimes outside depression creates inside depression going. But Mark, why are you talking about all this mental health stuff? Where's God? Well, do you know what? Spiritual influences affect us. And those may be from inside, from the fact that we have not dealt with issues that God has called us to deal with, but they are also coming from outside. And we sometimes deny that they come from outside. There are direct spiritual attacks upon us and evil circumstances that befall us, or our homes, our jobs, or our relationships. I haven't read any analysis of spiritual attacks in relation to these two spheres, the internal and the external, but I think that they come in either area. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against fresh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then, after the battle, you will be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In this passage, we're told to protect ourselves from spiritual attack. And this section of the passage deals with what, and if you've heard sermons on this, deals with defensive weapons. The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of peace. Know the truth. Protect our hearts and feelings. Make the decision to move out in peace. Emotions and our thoughts and our wills can all be subject to spiritual attack. Jesus tells Peter that Satan desires to sift him like wheat. That means to search for every flaw and impurity in him, to knock him around, to attack his thoughts, emotions, and wills. As Christians, we should not be surprised when Satan attacks our emotions. 
wants to pump up, pump up our emotions in a wrong way, directly through spiritual attack or through situations that may cause us to feel weak. And another kind of depression is spiritual depression. When we begin to say to God, no, I don't feel like that today. No, I'm not up to that. Where are you, God? It's hopeless. Satan wants us to move down a path of spiritual depression. If he can get us spiritually depressed, that's A number one. If he can get us depressed in other areas where we are not aware of it, then that's also great because he, that can transfer over to our spirits. God tells us we need to confront our flaws and deal with them. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. We do not blame the person under spiritual attack. We support them. And we pray for each other. Now, here's an aside for all of us, and I'm going to get in trouble for this. I mentioned that we are all facing mild spiritual depression, and depression stops us from doing things. COVID has caused a disaster in the Church of Jesus Christ. COVID has caused depression in the Church of Jesus Christ. Right now, there are many, not sitting here, but sitting at home, who are in need this minute of dealing with spiritual depression. We are under spiritual attack. And we can't care for each other because we are apart. We are in an illness that has made most of us at least mildly depressed. And so, even if we could come, even if we could reach out to others, we don't because we ourselves have been influenced. And Satan loves that because our depression and separation become spiritual issues at that point. We aren't caring for each other and we aren't assembling together even if we can. And the body of Christ becomes depressed. Now there are medical reasons why we may not come. Those need to be respected deeply. But if you're sitting at home, friends, I'm going to make you possibly upset right now. And if I make you upset right now, please give these feelings to God because we have to give our feelings to God. Unless there's a medical reason for you to not come and worship, please examine your heart and find out what's going on. And if you're upset with me, remember that our emotions must be yielded to God. Is it a depressive lack of energy that holds you from coming? Or the upset that you feel when you're challenged as to why you weren't here? If there's fear, that also needs to be addressed. And please share that so that we can pray and understand because we need to be together. Are those feelings from God or is there a spiritual issue? There is an attack on the body of Christ in churches across this nation. We need each other. And any other statement is a lie of Satan. And now back to our main thread. A case study in depression, Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. 
I could have chosen many of God's saints. Here's just one. Oh Lord, you misled me and I allowed myself to be misled. You are stronger than I am and you overpowered me. Now I'm mocked every day. Everyone laughs at me. When I speak, the words burst out. Violence and destruction I shout. So these messages from the Lord have made me a household joke. <laughs> the great prophet thinks he's worthless. He's laid low. It's so bad that Jeremiah begins to blame God. There's a spiritual attack taking place here too. He feels useless, his prophecies worthless, his life and work a bad joke. But if I say I'll never mention the Lord or speak in his name, his word burns in my heart like a fire. It's like a fire in my bones. I'm worn out trying to hold it in. I can't do it. I've heard the many rumors about me. Even my old friends are watching me, waiting for a fatal slip. He'll trap himself, they say, then we'll get revenge on him. In all this, Jeremiah knows God's there. He knows God has called him and he's torn. How can he hold on to his faith and do God's works when he feels like this? Worn out completely, feeling like the world is against him. But he can rally. But the Lord stands beside me like a great warrior. Before him my persecutors will stumble. They cannot defeat me. They will fail and be utterly humiliated. Their dishonor will never be forgotten. O Lord of heaven's armies, you test those who are righteous and you examine the deepest thoughts and secrets. Let me see your vengeance against them, for I have committed my cause to you. Sing to the Lord. Praise the Lord. For though I was poor and needy, he rescued me from my oppressors. Do you see him rallying? Do you see him remembering the hope of God? He knows God is near. He knows God is in control. He begins to sing a song of praise. He's won the victory, right? Right? Yet I cursed the day I was born. May no one celebrate the day of my birth. I curse the messenger who told my father, good news, you have a son. Let him be destroyed like the cities of old that the Lord overthrew without mercy. Terrify him all day, because he did not kill me at birth. Oh, that I had died in my mother's womb, that her body had been my grave. Why was I ever born? My entire life has been filled with trouble, sorrow, and shame. Jeremiah was ready to die. He felt like he should never have been born. Even in the midst of trying to hold on to God. Mercifully, as we read on, we see that God gave Jeremiah the strength to hold on and continue. But here's the shocking thing for even this man of God. Sorrow and depression dogged him for the rest of his life. Read the book of Lamentations sometime for a real laugh. Not. God didn't cure him. God didn't take away the source of Jeremiah's depression. Just like God didn't take away what the Apostle Paul called the thorn in his flesh, his disability. In Jeremiah's case, he faced problems his entire life. We don't know why healing doesn't always happen, physical or emotional. But we are called to be faithful based on the sure and certain hope of eternal redemption. We do all that's needed, all that we are called to do, but we give it to God. And we hold on to God's faithful people. Faithfulness, being a faithful Christian, does not mean you can escape depression. Working hard will not keep gloom away. Sometimes a depressed person can feel that their emotional state is their own fault, that if they just worked harder, if they were more faithful, if they trusted more, 
Perhaps they can escape the pit that their heart has dug for them. And we can't fall for that trap. That trap says that if you believe hard enough, life will be easy. It's a lie. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. Take heart, I have overcome the world. You may be faithful, but you may still experience depression. And for some of us, that may be lifelong. The brightness may be dimmer for us than for others. The world is broken and your body may be broken in a way that causes you to have this thorn in the flesh and in the heart. But take heart, Jeremiah wasn't saved because of his faithfulness. He was saved because of God's faithfulness to him and to all the promises he made. You aren't loved because you control your depression. You aren't accepted because you work hard at serving others. You aren't saved because you've been the one that caused it to happen. God is faithful to the promises he's made. And even on your darkest day, God is faithful to you. You are loved. You are forgiven. You belong to him. And if you don't face depression, dare you act as if God is wrong for giving his love to those who experience it. For some of us, depression is just part of our journey, like a physical illness. Some of us, we need to deal with the circumstances and move through it. Like Jeremiah, in our darkness, we need to find moments to shout, I know you have called me, and to declare the Lord stands beside me. The Apostle Paul said of Christ, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in... Would you read that verse with me? My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. <laughs> There's where we want to aim. There's where we want to aim, my brothers and sisters. So allow God's grace to work in us in all those situations. In conclusion, do you remember this passage from Hebrews 11? It's an encouragement to our faith. How much more do I need to say? It would take too long to tell the stories of the faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. By faith they overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fire, and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put armies to flight. Perhaps they're warranted, we're warranted this morning to paraphrase this scripture a bit, to tailor it for our message, and I think God will understand. How much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of Jonah, Moses, Elijah, C.S. Lewis, Charles Spurgeon, Martin Luther, and other great servants of God. By faith they endured great depression and sorrow, proclaimed God, helped God's people, and received what God had promised them. They faced down kings, wrote great books, healed hearts and souls, and sent the devil to flee. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put enemies to flight. All these died still believing what God promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they all saw it from a distance and welcomed it. Hebrews 11, revised. No, they didn't have roses and sunshine all the time in this world, and neither will we. We have the sure and certain hope of salvation and of God with us.
and not only God with us. As it was written in chapter 12, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. My brothers and sisters, we are the cloud of witnesses here. May we deal with each other in grace and love, upholding each other, dealing with the dark times in Christ, and moving forward together. Amen. And uh, as we respond today, if you're able, will you please stand with us as we sing?
again and again I called out to you Again and again You are my rock In times of trouble